Welcome, and thank you for streaming this sermon. At Heritage Baptist Church, we believe that the Word of God and the Gospel of Jesus can truly change lives. So it is our hope and prayer that this service stirs up your affection for Christ and helps you to draw closer to Him. For more information, please visit hbchazlett.org. Man, thank you, Pastor. Amen. Well, it's an honor. It's an honor to be here. And uh, if I've told you I really felt, I'd embarrass myself and embarrass you. But we love you guys wonderfully. And you have been great friends through the years. And uh, your pastor and his wife, several other brother Wiggins, brother Cox, and so forth, their families, and this type of thing. And so many of you, it's, it's like coming home. And uh, so we appreciate it, and I appreciate the song that was just sung, and happy birthday to the pastor. He made it. I don't know how old he is, but he made it, whatever it is. I remember when he turned 40, okay? <clears throat> That's young. 40's young. <laughs> 40's young, okay? <laughs> John chapter 11. John chapter 11. I brought two more charts tonight, one on baptism and one on the five major offerings in Leviticus. This is just more information on the cross and the three minor offerings are sitting back there. And hopefully you'll continue to study and give us some more thought. Tonight's message is primarily why all the sermons were laid out the way they were. And uh, it has to do with the cross, as we're going to see, but it's especially as it relates to Christians, and the other ones did too also, but there was a lot of gospel there for the unsaved. And tonight, we especially want to trust and lean on and depend upon the Holy Spirit. Anytime I bring a message along this line, and I used to do this off and on at Regency, and uh, brought it in as much as I could at Victory and so forth. The more I preach it, sometimes I do hear a voice, not God, so to speak, but just something inside of me saying, you know, people are busy. They got a lot going on. Our lives are so much more involved than a lot of the peoples of yesteryear. There's just so much interruptions from electronic devices and all this type of stuff. But if you catch the vision, if, if it becomes clearer to you, it can make a difference. I mean, it can really make a difference. This is something that I come back to regularly. I have to remind myself of it. I have to practice this myself. But it's not so much a mechanical thing. When I first started learning this, I, I kept thinking, how can I actually do this? And I'm going to try to get across that it's really not a mechanical thing. It becomes a mindset. It becomes a habit of thought in a good way. And uh, the way I want to bring it in, especially toward the end, it is what Christianity is. It's a relationship. Christianity is a relationship. You have been restored into fellowship with your maker, with your creator. And that's all three persons of the Godhead, but Christ is out in the forefront, and he is God reaching down to us. He's the stretched out arm of God. And these young people... Man, if they could get this at their age, we have some modern-day Daniels and Daniels. Everybody here tonight's got this to some degree, okay? But we need to go further. We need to get it in a greater degree. And I want to say a few things to set it up, and then we're going to have a wonderful object lesson, a very dramatic object lesson to illustrate what we're going to hit on tonight. And uh, I hope you'll take the notes with you and kind of read it over some more. All the emphasis on the cross, making the cross much more maybe vivid, maybe a little bit more defined, a little bit more clearer to you what was going on there, is so important because when we get to a certain point and we start talking about this particular area, uh, this is what you need to have in the forefront, okay? And that'll make more sense in a minute. I'm just trying to pull in some things. The songwriter Fanny Crosby had these words in one of her songs. Near the cross, O Lamb of God, bring its scenes before me. 
Help me walk from day to day with its shadow or me. That captures a lot of what we're wanting to emphasize, but in a much more um, structural sense. The message tonight is entitled, Dead Reckoning Christianity. It's a little bit of a play on words. You remember Charles Lindbergh? You probably didn't know him personally. Most of us weren't around. One of my favorite stories from history. Late 20s, flew the Atlantic by himself. You know how he got from New York to Paris? Dead reckoning. Didn't have the equipment we have today. And he was an excellent pilot. He had been a mail carrier when they were flying the old Jennies. Those are just glorified kites with a wind-up motor on them, so to speak. The things he did, he shouldn't even lived long enough to do what he did then. But flying the Atlantic in the spirit of St. Louis, what a story. What an amazing thing. Dead reckoning. A few comments and then we'll go to prayer. And hopefully you're in John 11. The term dead reckoning is the process of calculating one's current position by using a previously determined position or fixed reference point. That is a fixed reference point. Now, God himself is the ultimate fixed reference point. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God. Everything goes back to that reference point. But God revealed himself even more dramatically and more personal right there. And you're going to see tonight, this is not, a, this is not me sermonizing something. This is a major, massive, monumental, life-changing reference point. We've been talking about it. And you'll recognize some of the things we're going to say, but hopefully we can go farther. Throughout the day, throughout the week, as you involve yourself in various things, good and bad. And by the way, sometimes we get further away from God when things are going well. Absolutely. And when we're being challenged, we, we seem to just draw closer because we just sense so much more the need. But I want you to, to have the ideal in your mind that I'm going to use this as a reference point throughout the day more than I ever have. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to refocus off and on during the day. I'm, I'm going to keep this perspective. I'm going to keep this in front of me. This is where I'm going to go to kind of get myself back on track. And advancing from that fixed reference point, that position, based upon further calculations of speed over a last elapsed time and course. When Lindbergh flew the Atlantic, he had to take a lot of things into account headwind, tailwind, etc. And uh, he had to plot it on a map and he adjusted And you know what? He wasn't very far off. He ended up doing a very outstanding job. If he got way off, he'd run out of fuel and he would have landed in the Atlantic Ocean somewhere. And we would have never heard about him after that per se. So you and I, in a certain sense of the word, we're already doing this. If you hadn't uh, kept your reference point in place, you wouldn't be here tonight. I mean, you could have gotten way off track. And we're already doing this, but it needs to be even more precise for your sake. Now, this is a very spiritual challenge. The thing you got to do, the first thing you got to do is you got to get the concept in front of you. You got to get clear. You got to understand what, what is the concept? What is it that we're talking about? And once you get the concept clearly, then you begin, do you, do you accept it? You get the concept. I, I'm trying to get this across to you. And you see it. You go, okay, I, I got what you're saying. I see what the scripture is saying. Now, do I accept that concept as really being as dramatic and as potentially as helpful, making a difference as he's saying it will? So once you get the concept and once you accept it, then you act on it. The word we're going to get to in a little bit is you reckon on it. I read that verse off and on for years we're going to get to in Romans 6 a little bit. And I remember, you know, years ago, I, I couldn't quite get in my mind, what do you mean reckon on it? How do you reckon on it? And I kept saying reckon on it, reckon on it. And I, I was, it was still too structured and it was still too much something that I, I was doing. And when I finally got a hold of that word, I really got a, a, a feeling, uh, an insight, a, a grasp of what that word reckon meant. 
Then I begin to think, okay, how can I pull that down and, and make it readily uh, understandable? Well, I'm looking at it tonight. You walked in here. You looked around. Past experience. Observation. You said, these are chairs. And you transferred your weight, 150 pounds or so plus, you know. And you transferred it to that chair. And these are great chairs. What a wise, whoever behind these, Brother Wiggins, Brother Crawford, all of you, I don't know, but these are great chairs. I like it when somebody sets, sets the uh, pace for the fellowship churches, you know. These are great chairs. They're comfortable, amen? amen? It allows me to preach an extra three minutes because you're so comfortable. Okay? But you are, you, you are reckoning on those chairs to hold you up. I mean, you came in, you sat down, and, and you haven't even really thought about it anymore. Now, I have sat in chairs that didn't hold me up. It wasn't me, it was the chair, okay? <laughs> I can tell you some stories. I could go on and on, but just get that idea. By dead reckoning Christianity, what is first meant is that you live life in view of being dead in Christ. Crucified with Him. You were crucified with Christ. He said, well, how far do we go with that? If you would have been nailed to the other side of the cross when Christ was nailed to the cross. And when he died, you died. And when they laid him in the tomb, they laid you in the tomb with the board between you and you're wrapped up together. And when he rose from the dead, you rose from the dead, you would be no more saved than you are now. Why? He wasn't there for himself. He was completely, absolutely there on behalf of God and on behalf of us. Does that make sense? I mean, the representation, the representation, this is the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. The representation was so absolute, so definite, that it would not have added anything if I would have literally went through what I just told you about. Amen? The cross of Christ epitomizes all that God is and who we are before him in Christ upon salvation in a context in which we can get a clearer focus on what really matters. Now again, let me say, this is a very spiritual concept. We've been in the world all day. Let me tell you something, I've been in a seminary all day. And I've been in a very spiritual situation. I've been teaching and, and being in that setting and so forth. I did have to drive home in the traffic. <laughs> I had to do some dead reckoning to get here off that rate. Okay, <laughs> anyway, and uh, so forth. But we've all had so much going on. And, you know, on a Wednesday night, we're a little, maybe a little mentally tired. It's really going to be a spiritual thing laid out here, but it is very biblical. The cross of Christ was not just the means by which God delivered us from his wrath. It is part of the reference point. I said part. Because let me tell you tonight, we're not just dead in Christ. Let me jump ahead and make sure you know this. We're risen in Christ. So we're going to get there. But we've got to get this death thing first because if you're not dead, you can't rise. Right? If, if, you, if you were not dead, then you could not rise. So we have to get that established. How many believe Christ really died on the cross? How many think three days and three nights wrapped up the way he was proved it? Yeah, exactly. Wow, what a resurrection. I hope you guys celebrate that. Oh, I think you probably will. But anyway, and it's part of the reference point for how we are to live. The other parts are his burial and resurrection. That death and that burial and that resurrection... I'm telling you, baptism, in and of itself, just the, just the ordinance, okay, but what it pictures is absolutely dramatic. In fact, let me just put it this way. It's not even your notes. Noah's flood. Noah's flood. You think that was dramatic? That's the most dramatic thing that's happened since creation. The whole world covered over the flood waters. You know the waters in Noah's flood? And the waters and the baptistry pictures the same thing. The wrath of God poured out on an ark. 
Noah went through the wrath of God in the ark. Everybody went through the wrath of God in those days. Some went through the wrath of God outside the ark. Some went through the wrath of God in the ark. Everybody's going to go through the wrath of God. Some outside of Christ and some in Christ. And those that go through it in Christ, they're saved forever. It's amazing. Henry Moore shows when you take the civil calendar, the religious calendar, you understand it properly. The ark rested on Mount Ararat the day that Jesus Christ on the calendar, the same day he would rise from the dead. You think that was an accident? God gives the calendar. It's amazing. What a parallel. I can't think of anything more dramatic than Noah's flood, and that is a parallel. You say, well, where are you getting that from? 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 through 22. We are to live, we are to live in keeping with what baptism pictures. In other words, the gospel is not just to get us to heaven someday. It's also about getting some heaven in our hearts today. How many have a little bit more heaven in your heart? Wouldn't take a whole lot to make a difference, would it? We are to, we are to, we are to reckon ourselves Dead to sin, self, and society, but alive unto God. Now, that sounds kind of good. That's like, that's, boy, that's a great statement. But see, it's over here, and your life's here. How does that help you on the job? How does that help you on I-20 when that Bonds Avenue, Bond Street, Bonds Avenue, the light that does not change? Two nights in a row, we hit it green. We hit the next one green. We just drove right through them. But cars lining up. And you know how that is. There's always somebody in front of you that's about 500 feet behind the car in front of you. And they kind of mosey. And then all of a sudden it turns yellow and they stop. They could have gone through. You could have gone through. And it would have been totally legal. Because you can't stop a freight train just like that. We went right through it. My wife and I said, there it is again. That's in the rain. We got to get this concept I just said down in real life here. By the way, by society, we don't mean people necessarily. We mean this world system. First John two fifteen through seventeen: the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, the, the gateways to sin. Okay. We so strongly emphasize the death of Christ on the cross the last three days. Because if it is not real to us beyond just our salvation from God's wrath, being raised in Christ won't be real enough to us. So let me just say it again. And sometimes you say these things, not because the way you say it is going to make that much more difference, but just trying to make you focus and trust in the Holy Spirit will make the connection. You hear this, I say it, I hear it, etc. But you got to own that cross. In your humility and in your spiritual mindset, when I say that I deserve that cross and you deserve that cross, we say that's right. I, I mean, we did. But can I tell you, we did. We really did. If we didn't, then Christ would have never gone to it. Does that make sense? The burial of Christ accentuated, accentuated his death and his resurrection. His death state was prolonged for three days and three nights to emphasize he was dead. Now, a new convert gets baptized. He doesn't have all this theology in the head we're talking about. So guess what should happen in your mind every time somebody gets baptized here in this church? You ought to go back and say, wow, I remember when I was baptized. In fact, I remember when I came to realize what baptism pictured. And don't do this because you really can't be rebaptized. There's certain requirements, and if you didn't meet one of those, you're not being rebaptized. You're getting baptized. But you almost want to say, wow, you know, knowing what I know now, I kind of like to get baptized again. Take it slow. Leave me under the water for just a few moments. I didn't say minutes. I said moments. 
I think the people that really get the closest feel for what baptism is is when the heater's not working right and it's cold. The chilly waters of, they say Jordan, that's not right in a sense, but chilly waters of death. I mean, phew, man, I tell you, it's something else. It's a big deal. Not so much the city water in the fiberglass tub, what it pictures. Here's a silly illustration to just try to get this home before we go to John 11. My wife and I get married. We're all excited. The wedding pictures aren't here. I want to flatter my new bride when she comes home. I run down to Walmart and I get a beautiful frame. It's got a bride already in it. I bring it home and set it on the fireplace mantle. I say, my wife comes in and she looks around pretty soon. She says, what's that? I said, honey, I am so glad we're married. And I got this beautiful frame and it's got a bride in it. I just thought we'd celebrate our marriage. I just wanted to celebrate you. You know what my wife would say? Get her picture out of it. <laughs> Am I right? I mean, thank you, honey, but we just take any picture of her in there and tell you another picture, right? Let's get this picture right. Amen? Let's get it right. All right, John chapter 11. You know the story. This is a very vivid story in the Bible to dramatically illustrate the point of our message tonight. Thank God for pictures. Lazarus, in a wonderful way, illustrates what we're going to talk about for a few minutes. Okay? Father, help us again to make good use of time. Help us to be able to focus. And Lord, do only what you can do. I, I, man, I, and I was so hard at just 50 verses I wanted to put in here. Now, we're not going to have time to look at all of them. So how many know which ones to look at and, and to get this across? You know the hearts of everybody here tonight. Take me deeper tonight. Give me even more understanding. It'll be easier for me to be fresh in preaching it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 11. Look how this is set up. Christ sets this up where it's just maximum impact. He could have walked up to see a Galilee and made it stir up heavily and, and calmed it quickly. Man, he set it up, didn't he? Those guys were worn out and he walks, walks in the water. I mean, it's all kinds of stuff. Look at chapter 11. Now, a certain man was sick, named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment. Boy, she's something, didn't she? She had prescience. She knew to some degree, brother, she knew what was coming somehow, some way. And she put that ointment on him. She, she anointed him for his burial ahead of time, Jesus said. And wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sister said unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, for showing forth in a wonderful, fresh, and deeper way who and what God is. That the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Why do we want to glorify God? That's what we want to happen tonight. We want to glorify this tonight. We want to see it like we've never seen it before, so to speak. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So get that down. Okay? We know that, but that's the point. That's setting up a context. When he heard, therefore, that he was sick, when he heard, therefore, that he was sick, when he heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Now, the natural thing it would be, it was he would there say, don't worry about it. He's healed from a distance. He could do that. He did that. Amen. Or he could have said, I'll be there shortly. No, he just stayed where he was for a couple of days. Why? Maximum effect. Maximum effect. And look what happens. Then after that, saith his disciples, let us go. Into Judea again. His disciples said to him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee, and goest thou thither again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he seeth the light of this world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth, because there is no light in him. Now they thought about that one for a while as they went along their way. These things said he, and after that he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth. But I go that I may awake him out of sleep. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleepeth, he shall do well. Howbeit Jesus spake of death, but they thought that he had spoken of taking of rest and sleep. 
Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. I don't mean he's not dead. I'm telling you, it's not forever. And I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there. To the intent that you may believe. Let's, let's apply this to us tonight. I'm glad for our sakes that Jesus did it this way. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. Then said Thomas, which is called Didymus, unto his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Uh, they thought he's walking into a hornet's nest and he's going to get killed. Let's just go and get killed with him because they want to kill him. They want to stone him. <laughs> then when Jesus came, he found that he had lain in the grave four days already. Four days. Four days he's been dead. Now Bethany was nigh to Jerusalem, about 15 furlongs off. And many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary sat still in the house. Then said Martha to Jesus, Lord, if thou hast been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. Jesus said unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. Martha saith unto him, I know that he shall rise again the resurrection of the last day. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Oh, by the way, who are you going to believe, Jesus or everybody else? The experts are running this world right now. The experts are running the world right now. The wisest people that have ever lived. You want to believe them or Jesus? And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? She said to him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. And when she had so said, she went her way and called Mary her sister secretly, saying, The Master is come and calleth for thee. Where did it say that he called for her? As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came unto him. Now Jesus was not yet come to the town, but was in that place where Martha met him. The Jews then, which were with her in the house, and comforted her, when they saw Mary, that she rose up hastily and went out, followed her, saying, She goeth unto the grave to weep there. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hast been here, my brother had not died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled and said, Where have you laid him? And they said unto him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. For a lot of reasons, but that's another message. Then said the Jews, Behold how he loved him. And some of them said, Could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? Jesus therefore again groaning in himself cometh to the grave. It was a cave and a stone lay upon it. Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. Martha the sister of him that was dead said to him, Lord, 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 Lord. By this time he stinketh. For he hath been dead four days. You're going to embarrass the family. It's going to embarrass everybody. We, Lord, he's been dead four days. His body's already corrupting. By the way, I'm not going to camp out here, but you know what a miracle this was? You know when a body's been laying there four days and all of a sudden it starts working again? I'm talking about every cell, every nerve. I mean, everything comes back into place. Just, It's amazing. Jesus said to her, Said I not unto thee, verse 40, that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And I knew that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And about a week later, 
No? 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 And he that was dead came forth. Now, we're not going to stop reading there. He came forth. But look what it says here. Bound hand and foot with grave clothes. That's what happened when you got saved. You came back to life. You were dead in trespasses of sin. You're born again. You got a new nature. The Holy Spirit comes inside of you to live. You got a brand new standard. We're going to talk about this in a minute. You come to life, but you know what? You were bound with grave clothes even after you got saved. You still have the old nature. You still have old ways of thinking, old ways of doing. The, one of the great things about heaven is you won't have the old nature anymore. This is a great object lesson. Because, see, he wasn't raised from the dead once and for all. He, he died again later. Okay? Look what it says here. And his face was bound with a napkin. Jesus saith unto them, Loose him, let him go. So he literally comes out. Okay? He comes up and he comes walking out. He stands up and he comes walking out. He's like this. It's not that. And they begin to unwrap him. Right? Right? Am I right? He said, I thought they went around in circles. No, they, they did it this way. Everybody tonight has been unwrapped to some degree. We've all been unwrapped to some degree. But none of us have lost all the grave clothes. We have the old nature. Legally, he doesn't matter. But literally, he's still around. It's really not you, as far as God's concerned, because he's dealing with the new you. The old you is going to be, thank God, a thing of the past, the old fallen nature. But your risen nature is really the new you. Okay? Do you see the graphic? Do you see we still have the effects of that old way, the old nature? We've been brought to life, but we still have that grave clove way of thinking, acting and reacting. Okay? And it's a great story. They let him go. All right, now look at your notes. The peeling away of his grave clothes in a dramatic, is a dramatic picture of the old way of thinking, doing, and living that needs to be removed from our lives by way of sanctification. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Now, just to make sure, you do know. I mean, you know this, and so make sure you get this because it's so key. Because this is an object lesson. Don't need to raise your hand on this. But you do remember when you first got saved, there were still some things in your life that needed to be addressed. Amen? Are we right? Some habits? Now, you had some different attitude about it. Some grudges? Yeah, there, there's, we've said so, our, our brains have been wired to think a certain way. But you know what? You wouldn't be here tonight if you hadn't shed some of the grave clothes. But there's still some more, amen? There's a mindset that needs to change. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. Look at verse 1. And you hath he what? Quicken. That means brought to life, who were dead in trespasses and sins. The word death means separated. As soon as Adam and Eve uh, fell because Adam ate that fruit, they were immediately separated from God. They lost that Godward, inward nature. And they did begin to start dying physically, but it took time. You cut a little branch off, go outside and cut a branch off a tree with leaves and stuff on it. You bring it inside, you set it down, it doesn't look too bad for a while. But in a few days, it starts shriveling. The leaves start shriveling. And see, after a while, they begin to age. They begin to see it physically, but they were immediately cut off from God. It says, dead in trespasses and sins, where in time past ye walked according to the course of this world. This world's on a course. This world, most of what's on TV is the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Why? Because most people aren't saved. And that's what the old nature wants to see. Oh, it's a clever detective movie. And how they're going to figure this thing out, I don't know. But why they got to have all the other garbage with it? Why do they take some of these old classics that were just ordinary, they do them again, they got to ruin them. 
According to the prince of the power of the air, Satan's the God of this world, and the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation. We were like the demonic man living among the dead. We were dead in trespasses and sins, and we like dead things. I love that passage where the angels say to the people coming to check out on Jesus, the women and stuff, why seek ye the living among the dead? Christian friend and I, may I tell you, don't seek a life among the dead. We have a whole new way. We don't need to go the course of this world, amen? You guys fill it on the job. There was a day when you didn't have sports activities on Wednesday nights in public schools. Bosses would not even think about having you work on Sundays. And Wednesdays didn't even factor into it. Now it's a wrestling match all the time. Whether or not I'm going to have to work Sunday, I'm going to have to do this, or whatever. And it's, it's amazing the intrusion. The world's on a course and it's not God's direction. And look what it says here. We had a conversation on our lifestyle in times past. And in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we're by nature the children of, of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, not giving us the punishment which we deserve. Why? Because he took it. For his great love wherewith he loved us. Love is defined in the Bible, putting somebody else's welfare ahead of somebody of your own. Did Jesus put our welfare ahead of his? Absolutely. Amen? That's why it's the greatest demonstration of love, because he literally gave everything that he had to give so we wouldn't have to go through it. What love. About time to sing the love of God. I, my recording agent won't let me sing a duet with you. Maybe next time I'm here we could do a duet on the love of God. Okay. Now go to, go to Romans chapter 6 for just for a few minutes. Romans chapter 6. Okay. Now there's three words. This, this is kind of a weird sermon. It's got an outline, but I didn't make it real obvious. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to just get this information in you. And we're going to look at something kind of familiar. But we're going to end up at the end here in a few minutes. And hopefully it's gel. It'll gel. And your pastor knows these things. Him and I, we, we're so busy now, we, we pass, we're two ships passing in the night, but we spent a lot of time together. I mean, a lot of time together. His wife's glad we don't spend as much time together as we used to. <laughs> in a nice way, okay, believe me. We did, we did, but we, we discussed this stuff so much off and on in the past. And in recent times again. In Romans chapter 6, this is so important. Look at your notes. Look down at your notes. In Romans 6 through 8, we are shown how we have, we have everything we need as believers to live the Christian life at a New Testament level. Chapters 6, 7, and 8 are the three things you've got to have to live the Christian life that God wants you to live. And by the way, you really don't live it. It's lived through you. It's impossible to live it. It has to be lived through you. And it really is living in the flow. In John 4 and John 7, it's like that artesian well, the Holy Spirit, he flows through you. How do you activate that flowing ministry, so to speak, of the Holy Spirit in your life? How does that happen? Romans chapter 6, we'll read it in just a few minutes, but tell you ahead of time. Romans chapter 6 says you got a brand new standing in Christ. When you got saved, you got a brand new standing. You're no longer under the old Adam, you're under the new Adam. You're no longer out of fellowship with God. You're in fellowship with God. You no longer have this, that old nature. You now have a new nature, okay? You got a brand new standing. I use this illustration a lot. It's in the Bible. I can think of some others, but this one's easier. It's quicker, and you get it. My wife and I dated for, I don't know, three and a half years. And I ran out of money. She felt sorry for me. I'd give her about $50,000. She finally said yes. But anyway, it was over a course of time. You know, mills, clothes, jewelry. You know what I'm talking about, okay? But anyway, her father at 10 o'clock would flash the porch light. That meant she had to go in. If I wanted to see her again, she went in, okay? We, I run this trust quite a bit, but most of, our, most of our dates, those early days, were just church activities and stuff. But that porch light, that porch light, that porch light, that porch light would flash off and on, and uh, she had to go in. Do you know what happened when we got married? The porch light stopped. We left the marriage ceremony after the reception. But he didn't come after us. And I took her 
to our house. He didn't come after her. There's been no porch life for 40 years. When we got married, we acted like it. It was so real. Boy, we anticipated we couldn't wait. Those first few years, we, we had nobody but each other and God. I mean, literally. I could tell you stories of stuff we did. We'd have a telephone for at least a year. We didn't have, we, we went out to eat like one time when we paid for it ourselves, okay? I'm not feel sorry. We had a great time and we couldn't wait, okay? It was fantastic and stuff. But we acted like it. We acted on what that ceremony said. We had a piece of paper. We acted on it. We need to act on who we are in Christ. What am I saying? Stay with me. So you got a brand new standing. I got a brand new standing. She got a brand new standing when we got married. And when you got saved, chapter 7, you got a brand new nature. A brand new nature, a Godward nature. You get a chance, circle this, because I don't want to take the time right now. The clock is spinning. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 4. You got a Godward nature, a godly nature. You got all the things that pertain to godliness when you got saved in that new nature. You got a new standing and a new state, a new nature, a brand new state. And number three, in chapter eight, the Holy Spirit came inside of you to live. You got a brand new strength, a brand new source. So here you are with a brand new standing. Because you got a brand new standing, God gives you a brand new state, a brand new nature. And the Holy Spirit comes inside you to live. You have everything you need to live the Christian life that God wants you to live. You say, what's it like? Love, joy, uh, peace, long-suffering, meekness, gentleness, the fruit of the Spirit. What he produced in your life. You say, well, why aren't, why aren't I experiencing it? Because you still have that dumb old nature. And the world's beating up on you all the time. Amen? You follow me? All right. Now, look at, look at, uh, look at Romans chapter 6, look at verse 3. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized in his death? This is water baptism. If this is not talking about water baptism, then how else would you explain what baptism pictures? Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk the newness of life. When you're being baptized, that's not just your first step of obedience. That's not just whatever. That is God giving you the object lesson for what we just talked about. Romans 6, 7, and 8. It's God's, God illustrating. God having you, you're, you're starting to act out. You're getting started to reckoning on who you are. And if you're discipled and you're in the right kind of church, the, the dots start coming together. It's a, it's a picture that just as though you died, just as though you were buried, and just as though you rose from the dead. Why? Because you did. I'm telling you, if we didn't have this old nature, and we weren't in this world system, it would be a whole lot more obvious. But God's bigger than the devil. And there's been a lot of people rise above a lot of things and live wonderful, productive Christian lives because they got a hold of this truth. Baptism is such an amazing picture. Aren't you glad you are a Baptist tonight? Good, three of you. All right, all right, let's go to verse 5. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. By the way, notice that we should walk in newness of life. You have the position to walk in newness of life, or you can keep walking in oldness of life or oldness of death. But notice the option there. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. He's still there, but he has no official authority over you. You do not have to submit to him. You have a new nature. You can go that direction. But you're going to need help, and we're going to see that. That the body of sin might be destroyed. Your body's neutral. Okay, it's how, it's how you use the body. But that body of sin is actually something bigger than just that. But we don't worry, worry about that right now. That henceforth we should not serve sin. You know what you and I were doing before we got saved? Serving sin, serving self, running with the society, Ephesians 2. The course of this world. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe he shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. I don't know how many people had drug habits, other habits, different things. Sometimes they get involved in reformers unanimous, but sooner or later they break through. And those habits, those addictions go. Our, our whole way of thinking gets reoriented. We begin to actually experience what this is talking about, depending on just where we were when we got saved, how much time it takes to clear things out. And look at verse 10. For that he died, he died into sin once, but that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Here it is. So that word likewise, in other words, what Jesus went through for you and I, 
Reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's the concept. Now just sit here for me. Say, now, Brother Stewart, you're, I see it. I accept what you're saying. I see the concept. I accept it. If I can, if I can get plugged into this like I never had before, I can see how that can make a difference. I see what you're saying about uh, 6, 7, and 8. Now, look at your notes there. Verse 11 said, likewise reckon. That means deem, surmise, count. You also yourselves be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Because of your union with Christ, live out the resurrection standing you have in him. Now, don't turn to John 19 and John 20, but it, it talks about how they took him down from the cross and they wrapped him. Well, go ahead and turn to John 20. They wrapped him in these, those grave clothes. We talked about this. They wrapped him in the grave clothes and they put ointment on him. And this was not the official prep, but it was an initial prep to get his body ready for ultimate uh, anointing. They washed his body. Remember I told you Joseph Arimathea craved the body of Jesus and went to Potty. He was a man of influence. He got the body of Jesus. Look at John chapter 20, verses 19 through 39 through 40. I mean, excuse me, John 19, 39 through 40 talks about how they prepared his body. And that, that cocoon thing that he was wrapped up in, so to speak, would have kind of gotten hardened. And it would have gotten where you just couldn't, you know, walk out of it, so to speak, normally. Look at verse 6 of chapter 20. John 20, verse 6. Then cometh Simon Peter, following him, and went into the sepulcher, and seeth the linen clothes lie, and the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in also the other disciple, which came first to the sepulcher, and he saw and what? Believed. Kind of like what we talked about with Lazarus. Jesus left the grave clothes behind. We don't have to live the way we used to live. Legally, we don't have to. Our old nature, the grave clothes are still there. But in the new nature, we don't have to. Christ left them in the tomb. Now, let me just plug this in and we're going to go kind of quickly here and, and pull this together. I'm not just talking about smoking, drinking, and cussing, etc. I'm talking about old ways of thinking. Fear, insecurity, inferiority, paranoia, bitterness, grudges. That's the old man. That's the works of the flesh. You can be delivered from that. Okay, keep following me. He left them behind to tell us we have victory over the old man, the fallen nature in Christ. The key word here is reckoning. The believer is not to die to self daily. You're not to die to self daily. You're to reckon that you're already dead. Did you get that? It's a big deal. It's a big deal. Let me get this out and make sure I camp out here because this is a big eye-opener. He is to reckon on, count on already being dead in Christ and risen to walk as he walked. The shift of focus is the key. When Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 31, I die daily, this was a different context. He was talking about how he was not talking about crucifying the flesh. That happened on the cross. Your flesh was crucified on the cross. He was talking about he was putting his life on the line every day. He was facing even animals, so to speak, sometimes in a certain sense, or men like animals. He was literally getting up every morning thinking, I may die today, literally. But when you're talking along the context we're talking about, you don't, you don't crucify the flesh. You reckon on it already being crucified. You don't die daily. You reckon on already being dead. You say, what's the big deal? Your focus is totally different. When you got the morning, you say, I gotta die to self, I gotta die to self, I gotta die to self. I gotta die to self. I self. I I self. I no, your 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 mind's on yourself. But when you recognize that you're already dead in Christ, your focus is on who? Christ. Big difference. Do you know Christianity's Christ? It's not Christ in what we do, it's Christ. You're already dead. You reckon yourself already dead. You don't die daily. You reckon yourself already dead. You died on the cross. You were buried. And you rose from the dead. Baptism pictures that to walk in newness of life. Don't get up in the morning and die to self. Get up in the morning and reckon yourself already dead. I'm married. Do you mean I'm married? I'm married. We're married? We're married? I'm really married? Let me see your hand. You don't have the ready ring. Oh, yeah, yeah, we really are married. No, no. Let's reckon I'm already married. Amen? You see the difference? I didn't pull that license out and look at it every day. My wife hit it. But anyway, no. All right, now look at the very bottom. 
We're not going to go to Galatians 5, but you look at that. You see the works of the flesh, the old man. You see the fruit of the Spirit. And Galatians 5 tells you, your old man lusts after your new man. There's literally, how many of you have ever heard of the Civil War? Back in the 1800s? That's not the real Civil War. The real Civil War is going on inside of you right now. The war between the states. Yeah, the war between the states. You Southerners, there's war between the states. The fallen state and the risen state. The real battle's in you. The flesh gets up in the morning with you and says, well, we're going to give in today, aren't we? I tell you, well, we're going to, the spirit nature says, excuse me, we have kept our devotion. Shut up. So you go over here. You see what I'm saying? There is a struggle between those two states every morning. Turn the page. Let's wrap this up. In Luke chapter 9, what did Jesus say? Take up thy cross daily. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 says the inward man, the inward man is renewed day by day. Your new man, he's renewed day by day. Colossians 3.10 says the inward man is renewed after the knowledge of him who created him. How do you renew that new nature? Get up in the morning and get your mind on the things of God. Remember, the manna came down daily, came down daily at dawn. Christ said the manna pictured him. Matthew 6, 11 says, give us this day our daily bread. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by the words that come out of his mouth. What am I talking about? Psalm 1 says, blesses the man that walketh not in the counsel of God, and understands the way of sinners, nor sitteth and seeth the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, the heavenly manna. And in his law doth he meditate both day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, breaking forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither. And whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. God told Joshua to meditate in the word of God day and night. And he would be prosperous. Amen. So, here's what I want to wrap it up. And make sure you try to get this. And I almost made it to eight, but I'm close. Three things I want you to walk away with tonight with a, with a principle. I'm going to try to break it home at the very end of where it comes together by the grace of God. Every morning you get up, the first thing you do as soon as you're conscious, when you know who you are, and it's safe to have a razor in your hand to shave. Some of you guys need to start shaving. Anyway, up here too, you know. But anyway, uh, when you know who you are, you know where you're at, you know your name, you need to spend a few moments with God as soon as possible. Give him the first fruits of the day. Five or ten minutes. I have to leave the house sometimes in a hurry. And if I grab a, a, a sandwich, if I grab something to eat with me a little bit, get some juice and whatever, it's better than nothing. Sometimes I get a big breakfast. Sometimes I don't, but I get something. It's bad. Ten o'clock in the morning, Billy Cox and we haven't eaten yet. Billy Cox and I are there splitting a cracker together. <laughs> but anyway, what I'm telling you is you've got to give that new man something in the morning. You've got to ignore the old man. You've got to focus on the Lord. Amen? Don't minimize just a few minutes, but get something to take with you all day. Initially in the morning, stay in touch with God continually all day. Practice the presence of God. People drive down the road talking to themselves all the time. they got one of those earphones. You know, they're talking. I'm in a store. I hear a guy go, hey, yeah, hey, 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 yeah, yeah. What, 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 me? Oh, he's got one of those earphones. People just say, you got one of those earphones. You can talk to the Lord. Amen? Sing a hymn, sing a song on a hill far away. Sing it tomorrow morning. The Bible says to be spirit-filled, you've got to sing spiritual songs, Colossians and Ephesians, amen? You get your mind on Christ and you keep it on Christ all day, initially, continually, and day after day, perpetually. And now you're living in the flow. You're reckoning yourself. What reckoning yourself dead means, that old, this, this is what it means. That old nature is not worth messing with. Amen? I don't want that old nature's way of thinking. I don't want that old nature's way of living. That old nature messed me up. I don't want that. I want what I've got in Christ. Amen? I'm going to reckon that that is what my problem is. I'm going to reckon on that is not what I need. That's causing me trouble. That old nature, boy, he holds grudges. The new nature says, who are you to hold grudges? Remember the cross? Yeah, I remember the cross. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. You see what I'm saying? You get up in the morning, you reckon yourself dead, the old man, that doesn't matter. 
and you reckon on the new man. Amen? Amen. Baptism pictured it. It's just as though you died and were buried and rose from the dead. Get the grave clothes off of you some more. Amen? Amen? The focus is to ever be on him, not ourselves. Don't get up in the morning and say, I can do it. I can do it. I got this. I got this. No. He can do it. He can do it. He's got this. He's got this. He's got this. Just get a good devotional. Get Spurgeon's. Get a good devotional. Get something and read it. Read a psalm. I, get a psalm. Pick a psalm. Just start fresh tomorrow. Pick a psalm. 25, Psalm 27, Psalm 34. Pick a good psalm, Psalm 139, and read it over that morning. And then the next day, read it again. Spend some time in one psalm for a while. Make it, get a psalm and make it a new one. It's not your normal psalm. Spend some time in it. Amen? Thou shalt well, keep in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon thee. Amen? Walk in the Spirit. Get, get the Word of God in you. Meditate. When the flesh nature starts talking to you, just ignore it. Amen? See what I'm saying? All right. Depend on what baptism pictured. When Christ died, was buried, and rose from the dead, so did the Christian representatively. He was raised to walk in newness of life. Turn to Galatians 2.20 and close it. Let me tell you this story. Let me read this Galatians 2.20 to you. Galatians 2.20. Now, there was no way that I knew I could get everything in I wanted to get in tonight in this time, but I asked the Lord to give me enough of direction to know what to emphasize. Your pastor knows these things. You've heard him preach. As he feels led, he'll address it again. Brother Wiggins, others, Brother Cox, whoever whoever's preaching this. But gentlemen, I'm telling you, the Bible says, make no provision for the flesh. Have no confidence in the flesh. In my flesh dwelleth no good thing. All your heartache, all your headache is from the old Adam, the old nature. And God wants to flow through you. Touch base in the morning, stay in touch all day, do it day after day. You say it's simple? Yeah, it's called grace. Live in the flow. Let him live it through you. All right, listen to the story, and then we'll look at Galatians 2.20. The Scottish preacher, John McNeil, liked to tell about an eagle that had been captured when it was quite young. The farmer who snared the bird put a restraint on it so it couldn't fly. And then he turned it loose to roam in the barnyard. It wasn't long until the eagle began to act like the chickens, scratching and pecking at the ground. This bird that once soared high in the heavens seemed satisfied to live in the barnyard life on the lowly, of the lowly hen. One day the farmer was visited by a shepherd who came down from the mountains where the eagles lived. Seeing the eagle, the shepherd said to the farmer, What a shame to keep that bird hobbled here in your barnyard. Why don't you let it go? The farmer agreed, so they cut off the restraint. But the eagle continued to wander around scratching and pecking as before. Now, I'm not going to act this out simply because we don't have time. But just picture it for a minute. I don't, I'm not here to offend you, but that's what we look like in the old nature. We are living so beneath where we ought to be living. And we were not made to scratch around and peck the ground. The shepherd picked it up, set it on a high stone wall. For the first time in months, the eagle saw the grand expanse of the blue sky and the glowing sun. Then it spread its wings and with a leap soared off into a tremendous spiral flight. Up, up, and up. At last, it was acting like an eagle again. You are risen with Christ. You were in him when he walked the streets of Jerusalem. You were in him when he died. You were in him when he was buried. And you're in him when he rose from the dead. And we are seated together, Ephesians 2, in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Why don't we act like it? Amen? Is the cross real enough? Is it afresh to realize how serious this is? Galatians 2.20, are you there? Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. No, I don't. Paul said, I don't need to die again. I'm already crucified. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. How, how can you do that? Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me in the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Brethren, get up tomorrow morning, give God 5, 10, or 15 minutes, if you have to get up a little earlier, and stay in touch. Whatever he gets you in the, in the, tomorrow morning, stay in touch all day. When you forget, start talking to him again. Amen? And do it day after day and look at what happens.
your pastor comes. On behalf of our church and staff, thank you for listening to this sermon. For more sermons and more information about our church, please visit hbchazlett.org.